Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sassnack Files. This is Chelsea, and I will be talking you through today's episode, The Search. Before we get around to our episode analysis, though, I want to remind you guys that you can find this podcast on all kinds of platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, and Google Podcasts. As always, make sure that you are following us on social media for the latest and greatest The Sassnack Files news. So to get into this particular episode, I'm going to switch things up a bit. It's been a learning curve, learning how to do these podcasts by myself. So I'm going to try to break down the episodes into topics of discussion. I think that'll be a little bit of a more organic way to go through the episodes. So overall, I thought that the search was a decent episode. It's never one of my favorites and I always have a really hard time getting through it. I think primarily because I'm a book reader and this section of the show is maybe a chapter in the book. It's not really touched on. It's not embellished. So just having so much more to cover, it was really confusing for me to make a whole episode out of it. On top of the fact that I don't really feel like the show made a lot of progress in this episode. It was really slow and kind of tedious at times almost. There were a lot of montages, which is generally the signal in TV land that they're trying to show the passage of time. Which if you have to try to show the passage of time, you clearly don't have enough going on plot wise in that episode. Just my honest opinion. Feel free to disagree with me on social media or at thesassnackfiles at gmail.com where I can air your opinions for the world to hear. So let me know what you guys think. The first thing that I want to talk about today is Jenny and Claire's relationship over the course of this episode. Jenny and Claire have been getting to know each other Jenny, I think, has kind of accepted the fact that her brother married an English woman and that Claire is actually a a very wonderful person. I mean, she saved her life by delivering her breech baby in a delivery that could have easily killed her. So I think if anything won Jenny over, that was the moment. She was warming up to her because she knows that her brother loves her, but that childbirth really did it for her. So when I was looking at the context of this episode... I was thinking, okay, so clearly this isn't a plot episode. What is the purpose to the search? And I really broke it down into three things. One is to showcase how beloved Jamie is by all the other characters in the show. Myrta, Claire, and Ian, and Jenny. So that was probably the overarching goal, as if, We, as the audience, didn't know that already. Another important topic was Ginny and Claire developing a sisterly bond and Myrta and Claire developing a bond. Because these are things that with Jamie in the picture, we get an idea of it, but there's so much other stuff going on that we don't really see that connection forming between these characters. So I really felt like that... Character development was the primary driving force behind this episode. So with Jenny and Claire in particular, Claire's prepared to go look for Jamie completely on her own. 
and not have any help because that's just what she's willing to do for the man that she loves. Jenny has just had a child. Like the child is literally 48 to 72 hours old here. Literally just pushed a baby through her vagina, okay? And now she's prepared to join Claire on this hunt for her brother on horseback through the wilds of Scotland. If that's not the most heroic thing I have seen a woman do, (laughs) let me tell you. That's sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen. So they're off. And we really learn a lot about Jenny as a character in the beginnings of this episode, We learn about her determination and courage and even her skill as a tracker, which, yes, we knew that she was an intelligent and smart and a strong woman. She's a very strong-willed woman. But we even go back a little bit and we learn about her time as a child, that she was really starving for company in a lot of ways. Uh, She had two brothers and she was always trying to tag along and She's talking about how Jamie and Ian taught her to track when they were young under threat of her bedeviling their suppers, which is just putting bugs in their in their food, which is just genius. As an older sister, I'm like, yeah, that's totally yes, I can see that happening. (laughs) Um, All the things we do to our younger brothers, you know, but yeah, we really just we see that evolution of Jenny and how much she loves her brother and she's willing to go to any lengths for him, just like Claire. But I don't think there's that trust there yet. There's part of Jenny that is like, I'm going to go with you because there's no way you're going to make it and find him on your own. There's that motivation behind it, but there's also Jenny thinking to herself, does she have what it takes? Is she really willing to do anything to save Jamie. And if the answer is not 100% yes in her mind, she's going with Claire because she can't take that risk. She knows that if there's a shadow of a doubt that the answer is no, her brother is not coming home alive. So she's not willing to take that risk. And so she joins Claire and they really form this bond over the course of them searching for Jamie. And it culminates when they find the Redcoats. They don't see Jamie, but they see Macquarie. And there's this great little conversation where Claire says, do you think they killed him? And Jenny's like, well, why would they do that? And Claire's like, because he's a stubborn, strong-headed Fraser. And Jenny's like, well, he's not daft enough to take on 10 armed Redcoats. And Claire's just like, do you not know your brother at all? Jenny kind of has to concede that point to her, but they take on this courier that they see leaving and through unmentionable and torturous means, they find this letter that reveals that Jamie did escape and these redcoats are calling on the garrison at Fort William to look for Jamie, meaning that the party of redcoats that's not too far away from them and that originally captured Jamie They don't have the time or the energy to go looking for this random guy. So clearly they don't really know who Jamie is. They don't know that he's a wanted man and that he has a price on his head. All they knew was that he was part of the watch and that's why he was arrested. Which 
once the letter is burned, they feel a sense of ease in a lot of ways because Jamie's safe. Blackjack and the garrison at Fort William do not know that Jamie is on the loose. And that gives them a lot of comfort and it gives them some time to find him versus it being such an immediate, oh my God, he's being taken to be hanged as a part of the watch. So they can breathe. But there's a little bit of a disagreement between Jenny and Claire and how they need to handle the courier. And Claire, being her healer self, is prepared to patch him up and send him on his way. That's what she would prefer to do. And Jenny is like, are you freaking crazy? We can't let him go. We can't allow him to live because if he does... He knows we're looking for Jamie. He's going to turn right around and go tell that bunch of redcoats that they made a mistake by not pursuing this guy. And they're going to turn around and start looking for him or send another letter to the garrison to replace the one that we just destroyed. And because we just broke open a seal of a government document, now we've committed a hanging offense and are going to be on the redcoats radar. So this guy can't live, Claire. And they're in the middle of this disagreement. She's saying... I know that you're my brother's wife, but I absolutely will not tolerate being judged by you. I think that says a lot about Jenny. She's willing to risk everything for her brother. And she really doesn't care what anybody has to say about it. And she won't tolerate anything less than giving 100% in this endeavor. It just simply can't be afforded for either one of them to give anything less than 100%. And this is when Myrta shows up. I think this is the second big purpose to this episode is to develop the character of Myrta and to develop his relationship with Claire. We have seen Myrta and his relationship with Jamie, but then he just kind of mysteriously disappeared. Um, Jamie showed up in The Devil's Mark to save Claire And it's just been Jamie and Claire. So we're not really sure where he's been, but clearly he's been somewhere within reach because Ian being helpless and wounded at home at Lollybrock knew that he could count on Myrta to go and look for Jamie and help Jenny and Claire. Wrapping up the Claire and Jenny storyline, there's a couple of really good conversations between the two. There's the first one where they're looking for firewood. And Jenny says, love forces a person to choose. You do things you never imagined you could before. And Claire, I think, has a really hard time admitting her next words because she's not that person and she never was that person. But Jenny's words have a ring of truth. She knows that being here in the 18th century and loving Jamie have changed her. And so she admits to Jenny, I wasn't judging you. She was battling with herself. And she says, I just know that if Myrta hadn't shown up, I would have done it myself. And that's a big thing for Claire to admit. She's changed so much deep down in herself. Like Jenny said, love forces a person to choose and you do things you never could have imagined you could do before. Claire has seen that change firsthand because before 
all of this, she never would have killed an innocent man before. But now she's willing to do that and sacrifice that small part of herself to protect Jamie and her family. So that's what this conversation covers. And then they have the conversation right before Jenny leaves the next morning where we find out that Jamie has spoken with Jenny. We don't know exactly what the conversation was because it happened off screen. But essentially that either Claire is a witch or a wise woman or can see the future, whatever you want to say about it. Jenny knows that Claire may tell her things about the future and that Jenny is to follow her wishes without question. Her Jamie. So when Claire tells her to plant potatoes, she thinks it's weird, but she's like, all right, if that's what you need me to do, I'll send to Edinburgh for them. Claire also tells her the reason for these potatoes, which is that there's going to be a war and there's going to be a famine. Men are going to be hunted through the highlands and you're going to need every resource at your disposal to make it through this tough time. So plant potatoes, any land that you're not currently using or that is not productive, sell now for gold and hide that money away because you're going to need it in about two or three years time. Claire's doing her best to protect this Fraser Murray family in any way that she can. And we'll find out whether it's enough or not, but she did what she could. And so Jenny takes off back to her newborn daughter. Myrta and Claire take off towards an unknown destination. So we enter the next phase of this episode, which really works on Myrta and Claire's relationship development. Myrta's kind of a strange cat. He's always there in the background. He had a little bit larger of a role, I think, in the TV show season one than the first book. So we could kind of see the character's motivations, but Myrta's sole purpose in life is to protect Jamie and do what he needs to do to serve Jamie. Jamie's word is law. So Claire kind of defers to him in a lot of ways with, okay, how are we going to find Jamie? And he has this plan to promote Claire's healing abilities. And he is going to sword dance as a Fraser swordsman to spread the word throughout the Highlands that an English healer and a Fraser swordsman are traveling together, hoping that this will get to Jamie somehow, some way. And it's a good plan, but damn if it doesn't eat the 21st century part of me alive because it's like, God, information traveled so slow back then. Like, it's killing me. And obviously it's even traveling slower than Myrta and Claire expected it to because they have to up the ante a lot of ways. And that's where this whole persona of the Sassanac comes in. So he's like, well, if an English healer won't do it, then let's try an an English woman dressed as a man singing a body song and let's call it the Sassanac. That ought to do it. And so, much to Claire's chagrin, they proceed with this and travel far and wide, literally across the entire country of Scotland, looking for Jamie, hoping that eventually he's going to show up. And you can see this in Claire's performances. 
outside of the montages, you can see her scanning the crowd as she sings, just praying that she's going to see Jamie one day. Which sidebar, imagining the look on Jamie's face if he were to walk up and see Claire dancing around and singing on a stage. (laughs) I can just imagine like the shit he would give her for the rest of time if he ever saw that happen. (laughs) If there was an alternate ending to this season and the last two episodes never happened and everything ended up like the end of a (laughs) rom-com. Yeah, I can only imagine the crap she would get from Jamie for that. But Jamie never shows up, and the people that do show up are these gypsies who don't have the best reputation. Gypsies are a traveling band of people that go from place to place, and they travel, and they sell goods, and they provide services, and they have the reputation of not being trustworthy and doing anything to make a dollar. So when they see how successful Myrta and Claire are being, they immediately are like, well, we need to do that. And they steal their act, which is catastrophic for Myrta and Claire. Because now Jamie's not going to know who to go to. He could easily end up at the wrong place because he's following the gypsies without realizing it. Which is exactly what happens. That's the shit part of this entire thing is that he goes to Arachnachin where the gypsies are performing. Instead of following Myrta and Claire. And it's so in a roundabout way, as always, Jamie getting captured is Claire's fault because she refuses to do as Myrta says and give up and just let Myrta follow the gypsies. Instead, she's like, no, I'm going to keep singing this song because he's my husband and I love him. Well, just because you stop singing the song doesn't mean that he's not your husband and you don't love him. So yeah, Claire kind of makes my head spin, but... I get what she's doing. She's dedicated and she's on a one-track mind and she's got a goal and she's fighting for that goal. So she chooses to trust the gypsies and give them all their money, which again, why the hell would you do that? I mean, give them half the money, not all the money, but she gives them all the money and is like, I want your word. And of course that doesn't go well. This all culminates when... Myrta and Claire get to the coast and he was like, if you look hard enough, you might see America. It's the only place you haven't sung that damn song. (laughs) And he's really just beside himself. Myrta is notoriously broody and grumpy anyway, but they're both kind of on edge at this point in the episode because they know there's nowhere else for them to look. It's just, it's, it's over. So... The third big thing in this episode that I wanted to talk about was the scene around the campfire with Myrta and Claire. Because they're both kind of just sitting there grumpy and Myrta's like, oh, you can't sleep. And Claire's like, of course not. Why would I be able to sleep? My husband is still missing. We've literally gone to the ends of the earth looking for him and can't find him. Why would I be able to sleep? And Myrta's like, well, I'm glad you can't sleep because this is all your fault. So I'm glad that you're feeling guilty about that. <laughs> and they proceed to have this argument. And she she's like, nothing about this entire plan was ever fine, okay? And maybe you're just under this delusion because you've never ha- lost someone that you loved. But this plan of yours was never okay from the get-go. 
And Myrta just explodes and says, oh, do you know it all now? And walks off. Come to find out, if you'll remember back to the last episode, Jenny gave Claire a set of bracelets that Ellen, Jamie and Jenny's mother once owned. And those bracelets were given to Ellen as a wedding gift from an anonymous guy. And she would never tell anybody who they came from. She would just, and I quote, smile like a cat who's had cream for its supper. So clearly whoever gave these bracelets to Ellen meant a great deal to her, but she wasn't willing to share that with anyone. Which kind of makes me wonder if she even would have told Brian. I mean, Ellen and Brian were this great, epic love story. And uh, Diana Gabaldon is currently working on a book about Ellen and Brian. And I'm super stoked for that because you kind of get glimpses of their romance through stories that other people tell, particularly Jamie in the books. But it's never really fleshed out in any detail. We just know that they like ran off together. And that's pretty much it from the show point of view. So it makes me wonder if Ellen even told Brian about Myrta because when Myrta's telling this story to Claire, he said that he was in love with this Mackenzie woman, but that she had another suitor, which is interesting because I'm wondering if she's referring to that suitor as Brian Fraser or as uh, the other suitor that she had at the time. I think it was somebody from Clan Campbell, I want to say, but I'm not 100% sure. So if you guys remember for certain who her official suitor was that Colum was trying to marry her off to, please let me know. Anyway, Ellen had a formal suitor and she had an informal suitor. Brian Fraser was her informal suitor that her brothers did not know about. And she ran off to be with him. She basically told off this guy that her brothers had set her up with and ran off with Brian. And during all of this, there's Myrta, who's literally been doing everything he could from day one to win her affections because he loves her. And he never lost that love. And this is the story that he's telling Claire. But he never mentions her by name. But Claire kind of puts two and two together because she has the bracelets. And she's like, oh my god, it was you. And Myrta grabs the bracelets and he's very emotional. And he says, you think you're the only one who loves Jamie? He's like a son to me. Myrta never married. Myrta never had children. And his affection for Ellen and his devotion to Ellen won him, Jamie, as his godson. And he took that to heart and he dedicated his life to that. And there's a great scene in season five where we kind of see the beginnings of that. And for those of you that haven't seen it, it's the very first scene of season five and it's phenomenal. So that's kind of what we learn in this big third topic of mine for this episode is that is Myrta's devotion to Ellen and Myrta's devotion to Jamie and that yes Claire is Jamie's wife but it doesn't mean that she loves him any more than Myrta loves him it's just a different kind of love and so they come to grips with the fact that they both love Jamie and they both 
desperately, desperately want to find him and make sure that he's safe. So the last topic that I really feel like is worth discussing about this episode is the reappearance of Dougal. A message gets sent for the person playing Claire's role, the Sassanac, but it gets sent to the gypsies instead of to Myrta and Claire. I guess in a way, this is where Claire's belief in the goodness of people gets her something. A lot of times it just kind of falls flat. But Claire's belief in the goodness of people gets her this message because the lead gypsy, the one that she paid off to not sing this song anymore, but kept singing it anyway, (laughs) he comes and finds her and tells her this message that they're to proceed to Glen Rowan Cross with all due haste. Claire and Myrta are so excited, they think that it's Jamie. And they show up and it turns out it's Dougal. Back to his old tricks smuggling for the Jacobites and up to no good. But he has news of Jamie. And this is where we find out that Jamie also was at Arachnachine following the gypsies and the role of the Sassanac, thinking that it was Myrta and Claire. And he rounded a turn in the path and came face to face with six redcoats. And one of them recognized him heartbreaking turn of events. A, because Jamie was captured. B, because we'll never know for sure what would have happened, but there's a strong likelihood that if Claire had stopped performing the song and Myrta had followed the gypsies instead of following Claire, we may not have had this situation happen at all. Because Myrta may have found Jamie before the Redcoats did. That never would have happened as long as Claire was being her usual stubborn self. Because while Myrta loves Jamie, he honors Jamie most of all. And he knows that Jamie never, ever, ever would have approved of Myrta allowing Claire to wander the Highlands by herself in search of him. Just wouldn't have happened. Myrta never would have left Claire to fend for herself because Jamie would not have wanted that. And that is crystal clear. If Claire hadn't been stubborn, they might've actually been following the gypsies and might've found Jamie before the Redcoats did. (laughs) Moral of the story. And it sucks. And I'm a little pissed about it still to this day, even though it's been like six years (laughs) since we've seen this episode for the first time. So I'm working on myself. Okay. I'm trying to let it go. But back to Dougal, because Dougal's like, yeah, Jamie was sentenced to hang. No big deal. He's, oh God, I just can't, I can't stand Dougal. Graham McTavish does such a good job with his character. And Dougal's pretty much, you know, like, oh, there's nothing we can do. But here's what I'll do for you. You can marry me and I'll keep you safe. Does that sound like a deal? And Claire's like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, I am not giving up without a fight. I'm going to go look for my husband. And he's like, don't be stupid like that. Okay. He's a dead man. And the best thing you can do for yourself now is to marry me. I can keep you safe as the war chief of the clan Mackenzie, because if you go back to Lollybrock, the first thing the Redcoats are going to do is come and break down your door and take you into custody because Blackjack Randall is going to know that Jamie is dead 
and Jamie was the only thing standing between her and Blackjack Randall. So Claire fights with him a bit more. And this is where the reputation of the Mackenzies of Leoch come into play. Because in one of the books, Jamie kind of describes several of the different clans and their key characteristics. And the Mackenzies of Leoch are described as sly as foxes in the field. And they really are so intelligent. So conniving. And Column more so than Dougal. Column is more brains. Dougal is more brawn. But Dougal is still really smart. He knows how to appeal to people's senses. So he says really the only thing that he can say to Claire to kind of get through her head is that Say what you will about me, but you know Jamie. And you know that if marrying me was the only way to keep you safe, he would tell you to do it. And she knows he's right. As much as it sucks, and as much as she does not want to marry Dougal, she knows that Jamie loves her and would want her to be safe no matter what she had to do to do it. Which... Kind of breaks my heart and makes me want to cry. It's just a really emotional scene in a lot of ways. Like it's infuriating, but it's also terribly heartbreaking at the same time because you feel what Claire's doing and she's so desperate to save Jamie and Dougal is so manipulative. We find out that Dougal's motivations are, (laughs) shocker, not exactly pure of heart. He wants Lollybrock. That's what he's always wanted through this entire mess of a situation. That's why he lied about Jenny conceiving Blackjack Randall's child. He lied about that to keep Jamie away. And now because Jamie and Claire don't have any children, whatever property Jamie owns after his death falls to Claire. But then once Claire remarries, as is the way of the 18th century law, once Claire marries, anything that she possesses, money, land, whatever, becomes her husband's. So that means that Dougal will inherit the entire Lollybrock estate and it will then become Mackenzie instead of Fraser lands. And it's not really ever touched on in the show, but Lollybrock possesses a piece of land on its estate that is essentially like a pass between two mountains and it cuts travel time in half between two prominent sections and would be absolutely key if a Jacobite rebellion broke out. It would be great for the movement of troops and supplies and so Dougal wants that under his control, not under a neutral party's control and definitely not under the crown's control. So that's kind of his motivation and that's what he wants. And Claire, she realizes that Dougal's right and that Jamie would want her to marry Dougal if that's what it took to keep her safe. But she's not willing to give up yet. She knows that Jamie's still alive and that's what she tells Dougal. This is despicable that you could even think about your nephew's not even dead yet and you're already making a play for his wife? You're disgusting. And she's trying to wrap her head around it and not willing to throw in the towel at all. 
and eventually comes to this agreement with Dougal that if he will allow her to make an effort at saving Jamie and let any of his men go with her, if they fail or if she's already too late, she will marry him. I've always kind of wondered whether she would have. I personally don't think she would have. I think that the minute Jamie died, she probably would have gone back through the stones. Which makes sense. The entire reason that she's even still in the 18th century is because she loves Jamie and she wanted to be with Jamie. If Jamie is no longer in the picture, what is the point of her staying in the 18th century where Black Jack Randall is hunting her? It's really unsafe and unsanitary and it's a dangerous time. You know, Jamie said in The Devil's Mark when he tried to send her back, there's nothing for you here except for violence and danger. If Jamie's not there, there is literally nothing there for her. (laughs) So I personally have a tendency to believe that she would have gone back through the stones and never would have married Dougal. But the idea that she's even agreeing to it is just proof of her desperation, I guess. Which makes sense because all this time that they've been searching the Highlands, they've just been looking for Jamie. But now there's the added pressure of he's scheduled for execution. We have to do something now. So she ends up getting a a merry band back together of Willie, Rupert, and Angus. And she and Myrta take them. And the episode ends with them coming up on Whitmore Prison, which was a great way to end. It was just kind of menacing, looming there in the distance. And they're all staring at it like, why was this a good idea? (laughs) But it's a great way to end the episode because it's kind of um, a finality on the story of searching for Jamie. Now they know where he is. And they have to shift gears to what do we have to do to get him free. And it's a great lead in to these next two episodes, which are just a roller coaster and a really great way to end season one. I, a lot of people have given the show crap about the content, especially in the last episode. And I do not agree with them. In a lot of respects, some I do, and we can talk about that more for our episode analysis of that. Moving on to quote of the episode, (laughs) I really, I did like the one I mentioned with Jenny and Claire, love forces a person to choose. I love that quote, but honestly, I really loved the moment when Claire's getting ready to go up on stage for the first time and Myrta's trying to be encouraging and she says, stop quoting the Bible. It doesn't suit you. I just love that little moment of humor in this otherwise very gloomy episode. As for performance of the episode, everyone did a good job, but I felt like the duo of Katrina Balfe and Duncan LaCroix and the developing relationship between Claire and Myrta was really showcased in this episode and that they did a great job playing off of each other and developing their characters individually, but also together. Katrina Balfe and Duncan LaCroix are my performance of the episode. And with that being said, I think that concludes the episode analysis on the search. As always, if you guys have any questions about this episode or any of our previous episodes, please feel free to send an email over to thesassnackfiles at gmail.com or reach out on social media. You can comment on any of our posts on Instagram or Facebook. Until 
the next episode where I'm going to discuss episode 115, Wentworth Prison. You guys stay safe out there. Have a good one. And I will chat at you later. Bye.